Lord Jesus, we come before you again. You are great and gracious. Lord, this morning we need you to remove from us those things that are distracting us from your word. Lord, the the fears and the concerns and, and all that is going on in and around us. Help us, Lord, to concentrate on your word this morning so that we will know you better and therefore love you and trust you more. Open up our minds and our hearts to your word. Let us see you. Let us know you. Let us love and trust you. Bless us this morning, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing to all our near ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Believe none of what you hear and only half of what you see. This was my dad's advice to me growing up. I'm not sure anymore that we can even believe half of what we see, though. Which begs the question, who do you believe? One answer is you believe who you like. A singer, a movie, or a sports star. You like what they do, so they must give good advice on whatever subject they're paid to sell you. Billions of dollars are spent every year because they know this is how we live. Another answer is that you believe someone who is like you. This is a little better because perhaps they think like you think. They like what you like. If this is true, then their advice might be good for you. Still better is someone who has experience and education in a given area. I need advice in keeping bees, so I go to those who have been keeping bees for years. They've been there and done that. You don't need to know or even like someone for them to be an authority you ought to trust. And today we live in an age of polls. We gather a cross-section of a group of people, and regardless of whether they think or not, or whether they were intentionally chosen to skew the results or not, our nation makes public policy from these polls. Now, polls can be an effective tool if used well. In a sense, Mark takes a poll in his gospel. While sharing the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, he helps us come to this conclusion by offering us several witnesses offering us the results of a poll taken from a cross-section of those who interacted with Jesus in the flesh. And he convinces us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by providing testimony from God himself, from demons, from the enemies of Jesus, and even from a Gentile soldier. Now, Setting these people with such obvious cross-purposes as testimonies, as witnesses in a poll, he convinces us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because where their testimonies, their stories intersect, we can be confident of the truth. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Therefore, worship the Son of God. This, of course, begs another question. What does the phrase Son of God mean? 
It might surprise you, but there are at least four connotations. The first one is that the Son of God might simply mean a divine man. In the Mediterranean of the time, there were various religions who believed that the gods fathered human divine children. Therefore, you had various mythological creatures, characters like Hercules, and you even had, of course, the Roman emperors who claimed to be divine and human as well. And it may very well be that the Roman centurion at Christ's death viewed Jesus in this way. This, of course, is the least important of the possible meanings of the Son of God in Mark. Another possible connotation is that Son of God means a direct creation. There are several times in the Bible, notably Adam, the angels, the church, and of course most notably Jesus, who are called son or sons of God. Now what these all have in common is that they were directly created by God, either entirely created directly by God, Adam and the angels for example, or partially directly created by God, Jesus in the womb of his mother and church, the church when he created us by giving us his spirit. All of these are called son or sons of God. Paul held this view at least in many times in his letters. The third connotation of the phrase son of God is that of Messiah. The title, Son of God, was in the first century a messianic title. Along the lines of the Son of David. We will find examples of this in Mark. And this is one of the two most important uses of this phrase in Mark's Gospel. The one I think most of us will immediately jump to is the theological or the Trinitarian view of the phrase, the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son, therefore He is also the Son of God. Mark clearly viewed Jesus as equal with God. And this is, in fact, the most important of the senses in which Mark uses this term. But it is not the only one. And we must be aware of these other competing meanings if we are to understand what is going on in any given passage. And so this morning, I want to go through some key passages in Mark that use this term so that we'll see what meaning or meanings this phrase, Son of God, is, is bringing about. What Mark is trying to bring to the fore. And the whole point is that we will worship the Son of God. So let's start one last time right at the beginning. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Two weeks ago, we looked at the word gospel or good news. Last time, we looked at what it means that Jesus is called our Christ. And we saw that He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And today, we will wrap up our mini-series and examine what it means that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Mark's emphasis on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God is so great that I had to pick and choose which verses I will look at this morning. I can't get to all of them. But I must say, preparing these last three sermons has whetted my appetite for feasting on these passages as we come to them. And there's so much more to say than what I can say this morning. But here's the point. 
Mark wants you and I to know without a doubt that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of God. He wants you to know this so that you will worship the Son of God. And so we get to our first passage this morning, verse 111. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Mark 1, 1 1-13 is called the prologue of Mark's gospel. It serves as the background, the backstory, so to speak, of the good news that Mark makes explicit in chapter 1, 14 and 15. And essential to Mark's prologue is his baptism account. As short as his account is, there are two quick things that we need to note today. God the Father says, you are my son. Not you became my son. Not you will be my son. You are my son. You and I are intended by Mark to read the whole gospel with these words ringing in our ears. As you see him casting out demons, as you see him healing all manner of disease, as you see Jesus walking on the water and dying on the cross, you should have ringing in your ears, You are my Son. As you see society falling apart around you, as you struggle with health and finances and bitterness, remember, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus saw many difficulties. People, Jesus saw people through many difficulties in Mark's Gospel and the last 2,000 years. He can see you through your difficulties as well. Never forget, the wind and waves still know His voice who ruled them while He dwelt below. So as you go through your struggles, hear this ringing in your ears, you are my beloved Son. And rejoice, because to worship the Son of God is to rejoice. No matter what your struggle, no matter what your pain, the Son of God is your Savior and no one can snatch you out of His hands. So worship the Son of God. Note also in Mark 1.11 how the Father in Heaven follows up this declaration, you are my Son, with you I am well pleased. The Father's declaration here was for everyone's benefit except Jesus. Jesus already knew He was beloved and that He pleased His Father well. But of this you can be sure. God the Father already approved all that God the Son had done and said. He makes this clear at the beginning of Jesus' ministry because He repeats it at the end. When God the Father raised God the Son from the tomb, it was a divine amen to everything God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, said and did. And God the Father raising God the Son from the tomb is His amen to you. You can, because of the resurrection, trust every promise that God the Father has made to you in Christ. 
we also see the phrase, <clears throat> this is my beloved son, as he says in Mark 1.11, in Mark 9.7. When Jesus revealed himself on the Mount of Transfiguration, God said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now this is an unmistakable reference to a combination of at least three passages. Genesis 22, Psalm 2, and Isaiah 42. Because seven years, hundred years before Jesus lived, Isaiah prophesied the Messiah would be a suffering servant. A thousand years before Jesus lived, the psalmist told us that the Messiah would be God's Son. And two thousand years before Jesus lived, God spoke to Abraham to give up his son, his beloved son. Now Isaac walked away that day. God the Father's Son died on the cross and only walked away three days later. So we see here both in Mark 1 and Mark 9, the reader is meant to connect these dots to these other passages so that we would understand that the man baptized and the man transfigured on the mount was also the beloved Son of God and we must listen to Him. Knowing this, Seeing the Father's beloved Son in action will cause us to worship the Son of God. So what? So what? How do we worship the Son of God in light of this verse? Now allow me to draw your attention to another verse that points to what pleases God and why. That verse is Isaiah 64, verses 4 and 5. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for Him. You meet Him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Now, to wait upon the Lord is to exercise patient, confident, and expectant trust. To remember God in His ways is to look to the person of God as opposed to just looking to what God can do for you. <laughs> now this is good news for us. This is good news for us because that's what we're doing. We're looking to the person of God. We are going to see Jesus, the Son of God, as He's revealed to us in Mark's Gospel. We're going to see what is God like? What does God enjoy? What does God celebrate? What does God hate? What does God condemn? And we will see patient, confident, expectant, seeking God the Spirit to empower us to live by the God, by like God the Son. And we will see that this kind of living is what God the Father responds to. It's what causes Him to reward us by acting on our behalf. Now, it is almost impossible to overemphasize this. Only in God's Word do we find God. In Mark, we see the Son of God. And when we see Him, when we know what He is like, because of how He lived, how He loved, how He forgave, how He equipped and empowered those around Him, then are we able to patiently, confidently, 
and expectantly trust Him. It is foolish to believe that you can trust God or anyone else if you don't know Him. It is foolish to believe you can simply make up your mind or grit your teeth or clench your fists and make yourself believe. You can't do that. You must behold Him. You must continually, repeatedly behold Him. You must patiently, confidently, expectantly behold Him regularly if when you are in need, you are going to have that spiritual strength to trust Him. So choose this day. Choose now whom you will serve and worship the Son of God. What then does it mean to worship Jesus, the Son of God, in light of this promise? The promise that He acts for those who patiently, confidently, and expectantly trust Him? What does it mean to wait for Him so that He will act for you as Isaiah promises? It means to trust. It means continually bringing to your heart and mind back to His Word and seeing that Jesus is the Son of God revealed there. And then, as you continually bring your mind and heart back to Him, then going about your life and trusting Him to guide you as you move through life. Living Christianly is not complicated. But it isn't easy either. So worship the Son of God. Of course, we know not everyone trusts the Son of God. Some knew who He was and remained His enemy. Mark chapter 3, 11 and 12. Whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, they fell down before Him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And Jesus strictly ordered them not to make Him known. Now if by theologian you mean someone who knows correct theology... The demons were the best theologians ever. They knew Jesus was the second person of the Trinity. That's why they fell down and bowed down before Him. And so we can rightly conclude when we see this passage and others like it in Mark 5-7, for example, they mean in their mind, Son of God is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. But I don't think that's what they meant by calling out this title. What they meant to do was, in a sense, tattling on Jesus. They wanted to spill the messianic secret that I mentioned last week. The messianic secret, if you remember, is the fact that Jesus would often perform some miracle, casting out demons, for example, and then tell everyone around to be quiet about it. Why? Because if and when... They went around blabbing what Jesus had done. The people around him would have an incomplete understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. Why would spilling the messianic secret be a bad thing? We noted last week that the Messiah was our prophet, our priest, and our king. We said that in the first century, the king was the most emphasized by the people of Israel. The people desperately wanted their Roman overlords cast off. They even tried to make Jesus king once when he fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6. But at his first appearing, the king aspect for Jesus was the least important. 
Indeed, Jesus will return and be king over all. But when he came as a baby, Jesus' job was to be prophet and priest. He needed to clarify this reality to everyone first, and then, one day, return as king. Oh, Jesus, come quickly. And worship the Son of God. In the meantime, while praying, Lord Jesus, come quickly, worship the Son of God. Because His death and resurrection has passed, we now know what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God. There is to be no more messianic secrets. So we worship Him now. How? Well, in light of this passage, ironically, we worship Him now by making Him known. The messianic secret was only for His first coming. Now our job is to make Him King. King in our heart. King in our speech. King in our actions. King in our relationships with all of our near ones. Which of course means that we make Him first in our affections. To value what He values. To hate what He hates. And now that He has made Himself known to the world by conquering the grave and sin and Satan, our job is the opposite of those He healed 2,000 years ago. Our job is to make Him known as widely as possible. And making Him known as widely as possible is one way to worship the Son of God. Fortunately, Mark's informal poll is not over. Mark uses not only God the Father's testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, he not only uses the demon's testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Mark also pulls Jesus' enemies, and he concludes that Jesus is in fact the Son of God. At his trial before the Jewish leaders, we see in Mark 14.61, Jesus remained silent and made no answer. And again, Caiaphas, the high priest, asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now we discussed this verse last week because Caiaphas asked Jesus if he was the Christ. So we won't linger here long this morning. But I want to note that the title Christ, at least to many, was equal to the title Son of God. And Son of the Blessed is simply a circum. In other words, many Jews believed you couldn't say God or Yahweh because to do so was to risk taking his name in vain. So they went out of their way to talk around the name. Very common circumlocution of the day was to say heaven in place of God. In this case, Caiaphas used the term blessed in place of God. And so the phrase son of the blessed is simply another messianic title. Now Caiaphas does not believe it. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but he recognizes this claim is the natural conclusion if you believe Jesus' sermons and miracles. So Jesus' sermons and miracles are another witness, another testimony that we can pull and see that Jesus is in fact the Son of God. Caiaphas is smart enough to put the pieces together and recognizes that this is exactly what the disciples would believe. Now, you and I, we don't need to worry about using the name of God or Yahweh or Jesus. 
Instead, we simply worship Him. We worship the Son of God. And as you and I go about being as unsecret as we can about Jesus is the Christ or Messiah, the Son of God, tell people what He did. Tell people what He has done for you. Now that it's done, now that Jesus has come, He has died on the cross, and He has risen from the grave, we want to live in that joy and spread that joy and offer it to the people far and near. God is willing to forgive all your sins. Are you interested? Now the last passage that we're going to look at in this regard today is perhaps the most interesting We see at the cross in Mark 15, 39, when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Of course, the question in everyone's mind here when reading this quote is, did the Gentile soldier intend to use the phrase, how did he intend to use the phrase Son of God? Did he believed Jesus was a divine man, or was he given the revelation that Jesus is God the Son? My answer, it doesn't matter. If we say the soldier meant to record his stunned opinion, wow, this guy really is a God, then our answer is yes, that's what he intended. But Mark included his testimony because you and I could see a deeper meaning. If I say the soldier meant this really is God the Son, then our response is the same. You, reader, and I can see the truth complete where the centurion only saw in part. So live that truth. Worship the Son of God. The point for you and me is that here is just one more testimony, one more contrary voice, if you will, to add to our informal poll. And if we take that testimony as real, then we will see that we must worship the Son of God. So my friends, this morning you have heard the results of a great poll. You have heard the testimony of God. You've heard the testimony of demons. You've heard the testimony of the enemies of Jesus. And you heard the testimony of someone who ought not even to have been included in the poll at all. But now we come to one of the most significant events in the life of Jesus that explains who he is and what he came to do. We come to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, he told these parables, on that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, And they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And when he awoke, Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, 
And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Who then is this indeed? Who but the Son of God can stop the wind and waves? Who but the Son of God deserves your worship? Can an ordinary person cast out a demon? Sure, if the demon wants to leave. Can an ordinary person heal? Well, there's at least a lot of people who have claimed the power to heal, and many have believed them. Can an ordinary person stir up the crowds and gather momentum and change the world? Obviously. But only the Son of God can speak and have the wind and waves obey Worship the Son of God. So the point for you and me is clear. Though Mark does not mention in this passage that Jesus is the Son of God, you and I are meant to connect the dots and work it out that only the second person of the Trinity, only God the Son, can say such things and we now must respond appropriately. Do you have storms in your life? Trust God the Son. Worship the Son of God. doesn't mean that He will take all those away from your life. It means He is with you. And we come back to the question we started with. Who will you believe? Whose testimony will you listen to? The real answer to that question is different than you may expect. You will believe the person you listen to. Whatever you give your time to, that will be the greatest influence in your life. Whatever you look at longingly, that is what you worship. That is what you depend upon. So choose to worship the Son of God. Look to Him. Ask the Father to give you a longing to know Him better and therefore love Him and trust Him more. Continually turn back to view Jesus in Mark's Gospel. Learn to know Jesus. Hear In His Word is where you will meet Him and can meet Him every single day. Then and only then will you be able to worship Him. And Lord, we need You. God the Spirit, we need You to work in and through us, to work in and through Your Word to us so that we will worship You. God, open our hearts, open our eyes and our minds Enable us to worship you so that we will be blessed and we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.